Wow! Oh my god, it's you! It's your online. Oh shit! This is amazing. Well, you know, I have your um your face on my refrigerator, so. Oh yeah, I sent you my face last year. I sent my face to so many people last year. <laughs> two of them. I know I sent two. I was like, in case you lose one. Yeah. Yeah. Two is better than one. I need to put yeah. one on my phone. <laughs> put it on your phone. Put it on your car. Tell the world about this face. <laughs> that face is like three years old too, you know? I was like younger, fresher, you know. I have a cute hat on. <laughs> I miss that hat. You know, I had that hat for like two months. I got it in Korea. I got it in Seoul. And it was mm -hmm. one of those hats yeah, yeah, where I yeah. tried it on. It was perfect. It looked perfect on me. And I went to see I went to see fucking Aquaman at a really expensive movie theater. It was like $30 to see this fucking movie. And I lost it in that movie theater. And like I went back looking for it. They're like, yeah, we don't have it. It's gone. I was like, damn it. But it's immortalized now on a magnet. On a magnet. <laughs> on your refrigerator. Spread out across <laughs> the world. All over the continent. Everybody has one. <laughs> yeah. How are you, Helen? Oh my god, I'm good. I'm all tired right now just because it's um Friday yeah. and end of the mm. work week. But I'm yeah. doing well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing pretty well. I mean all things considered. You know, the last time I saw you you were you were gearing up to start your um, studies, your graduate studies in social work. That was oh the last God. time I saw you. Wow. Was, was that when we had pizza? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, and then Jenny <laughs> joined us that. later. Yeah, yeah. Jenny came. That's right. Yeah. yeah that she, was great. She grabbed a chair from the bar and then put it on the other side of the fence so she could smoke. I was like... <laughs> That is some next level boss bitch shit. Like we strive for That's that. Right. I strive for that. I strive for that level of, you know, audacity <laughs> always, you know? That was the last yeah, time I saw I, you. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And you were on your way to California. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yes. And then since then, you have gotten a PhD. Yes. And you're a comedian and you're doing all these shows around yeah. the world. <laughs> Who knew? Sitting at John's Pizzeria. I know, man. <laughs> so many years ago. Oh, I miss, I miss John's Pizza. But I, yeah, like, you know, I was like, I, I think about you often. I think about you more often than you may realize. Like, um, when I started stand up, I was like, you know, the one steadfast fan was Helen. She was always laughing at everything I said, you know? And it just like kind you're, of affirmed. You're funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like this nice affirmation, confirmation. I was like, I think I could do this because Helen Helen laughs all the time. <laughs> you know? She was always laughing at me. Always. I can do this. I could do it because Helen's always laughing. Yes. And, um, you know, like, when else was I thinking about you? I was thinking about you in, uh, 
J- July 20, was it 2019? No, July, July last year. I was mm-hmm. thinking about you when I was on LSD. Oh. I was like, Helen knows this place <laughs> for some deep reason. I was like, Helen, Helen has been here. Oh my God. And then <laughs> I was oh, in man. Joshua Tree two weeks ago, Sunday. <laughs> like I took a, a big dose of mushrooms and I was like, Helen's also been here too. It was just I like one of those have, things. I don't think I've been there. To Joshua um, Tree? But I'm honored that you would assume. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, Joshua Tree or Mushrooms. I have not been to those places. Oh, okay. Um, but, yeah, the LSD. Um, how how were your trips? They were always good. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't really think, like, a quote-unquote bad trip exists. I think challenging trips exist. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's always a way out of that. Or, you know, it's like something you have to confront and then figure out. Mm -hmm. Like the key to that is always one of two things. And it might not be two things. It's probably the same thing, but it's like acceptance and letting go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, okay, everything's cool again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was having this conversation strangely recent, well, kind of recently, a few months ago with, um, Mm -hmm. my boyfriend and I were having dinner with, um, my realtor slash friend now. And he was asking us about what it's like to trip on acid. So Mm -hmm. we had a sort of unexpected long conversation about you know preparing can you prepare like what you know sort Mm. of it you know basically like it just whatever happens is kind of pre-existing already somewhere Mm -hmm. in your psyche and Mm -hmm. um yeah but i never had a bad experience Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i think these bad experiences happen when they disrespect it. Like when they mix it with things they shouldn't mix it with like alcohol, for instance, I think that's probably the mm, worst yeah, thing that to do. Sounds bad. Like yeah. I was in Amsterdam and that's when I first tried mushrooms for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, I mean, you've taken LSD, so you could take any of these mushrooms and you'll be fine. And she was like, just two rules, you know, drink water and don't drink alcohol. And that's it, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, th- mm-hmm. those are very easy rules, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that's when the bad demons happen, when they mix it with alcohol or they mix it with, like, other substances that they shouldn't be mixing it with, mm-hmm. which I think is mm-hmm. a disrespect of the substances which are meant for, like, this spiritual, deep kind of experience, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Were you with other people or were you alone? When I take LSD, like the first time I took LSD at a trip sitter, but uh-huh. since then, whenever I take LSD and I only do LSD once a year, um, I always do it alone because that's my preference. And mm. uh, when I take mushrooms, I, I've done it 
with this the same friend both times and both times she was kind of like my caretaker because she's one of those people who's like portals kind of opened already you know those like Mm -hmm. more Mm -hmm. evolved alien like people who's very like in touch with their wild primal selves she's one of those Mm -hmm. you know whereas Mm -hmm. like me i have to really work at that (laughs) i have to i have to work at my wildness really i do you know, like uh, peel away the neuroses, uh, like yeah. chip away the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think yeah. a lot of us, yeah, we've we've um, but at the same time, like we're also so controlled by those primal urges, you know, the whole mm-hmm. fight flight stuff mm-hmm. all the time. Like it's that's mm-hmm. so unconscious. But then, yeah. like, yeah, but but then accessing maybe like the deeper the the deeper wisdom, right, that we hold yeah. in our yeah. mind and body. We all have it. Yeah. We all have yeah. that deeper wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, when I started seeing how you're, you're like a therapist now, right? I mean, that's what you mm-hmm. are. Yeah, I was like, yep. I was like, yeah, it's, yeah, makes sense, you know? <laughs> yeah, because you're, you're, you're also an artist. You're like a videographer. You were a dancer, Right. Um, no. No, you were never a dancer. Mm-hmm. Why do no. I keep feeling I love, I love to dance? Oh, well, okay. I mean, I, when I was a kid, you know. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, child of Korean immigrant parents, so I, I did all of all of those things. Okay. I liked I liked dancing, but not I never like studied it or. So weird. I, yeah. For some yeah. reason, I did. Head. I did theater. I did theater. Ah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So like dramatic theater, like dramatic arts theater. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. So yep. you were an actress, basically. Yeah, I actually, when I first started, um, my first college was actually like a theater conservatory. Um, oh. Yeah, I was, I was really into, but then I just kind of was like, I don't know if I want that life. Really? It just Why? was like, I don't, well, I didn't, I was like, I don't know if I want to, you know, as an actor, I think it's, it's so one of the biggest challenges that I didn't think that I could really be okay with was that so much of your career as an actor is sort of determined on the judgment mm-hmm. of other people who deem, you know, and mm-hmm. I just didn't want to be sort of at, you know, vulnerable or like at the mercy of like, mm-hmm all mm-hmm. of those factors you know yeah. and then it's like okay do you just start your own theater company but it's like on what well how are we going to make a living you know i mean it, it just yeah. um yeah was really yeah the options didn't weren't yeah. all like great so mm. yeah but no but yeah. i did that for a long time yeah it was like theater but that last year i mean i always had a love for film and then it kind of right. like you i mean you were a e- filmmaker easily, you are a filmmaker yeah yeah, yeah. and then I, and then it really like bled into the filmmaking pretty easily yeah yeah Yeah. no i agree because you know i mean i'm in i'm in la and doing stand-up and the the way that comics get their quote-unquote big break is they have to be shown on television and once Mm. people see you on television then you you start you you will get more headlining spots eventually and sell out theaters and the ball will get rolling and i'm just like 
I can't do that. I can't mm. see myself auditioning and twiddling my thumbs, waiting around for callbacks and then another one. And it, it's exactly the same reason. And all my yeah. actor friends are permanently <laughs> broken. You know, mm. like they're a constant nervous wreck. And um, I'm just not built for that, you know? Like, I really don't give a flying fuck what people think of me and, you know, expect out of me. E even something minor, like um, I was at a show and there was a comedy photographer and he was like directing me to do stuff. And I was so defiant, you know, <laughs> like he'd be like, pretend like this shoe was a phone. And I'm like, you're such a hack. Like, I hate you. <laughs> Like, I hate that you're making me doing that. You know, I'm like complaining and bitching and moaning the whole time because I just didn't want this stupid young white dude telling me what to do, you know? But as an actor and an actress, you have to be open to that. You have to be willing to cooperate, work mm -hmm. and do as they say. And I'm like, what am I built for? What am I built for? You know, and I'm like doing all this like stuff. And I realized I was like, I... I, you know, I was like, I wanted to be a filmmaker and that's mm -hmm. what I want to be. I want to be a director or a showrunner. I'm built as a leader. I'm not built to yeah, be yeah. a fucking puppet, yeah. mm -hmm, you know, for sure. I had to be yeah. specific too. I had to be like, what kind of filmmaker? I was like, cult classic, you know, not like some fucking mainstream yada yada. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So sorry, my cat's getting in on it. Okay. okay. Is this the same cat? No, this is a different cat. Um, she, I got her, um, when did I get her? 2017. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, okay. um, yeah, she, her, and here she is. Hello, cat. Wow. What's her There's name? The Williamsburg Bridge. Ooh. Her name's Karuna. Hi, Karuna. She's cute. Yeah, I have, if you ever need to know what the traffic is like on the bridge, I can always tell you right now will, it's, it's usually always backed up like going into manhattan and then but going into brooklyn it's usually pretty so are you in good. the brooklyn part or are you in the manhattan part i'm in the manhattan part Lower oh East wow Island. yeah wow yeah it's, when's the it's last time you lived in manhattan um the last time i lived in manhattan was in god oh like forever ago, probably. Oh, man, it was a long time ago. It was like because you were in um, Brooklyn for a long time, and then you were in Queens 1998 for a while. <laughs> for like a year, and I lived in a tenement. Building. Oh, Alphabet City? Were you in Alphabet City? No, I was on Bleecker. I was like the oh, worst. Oh wow! The worst. God damn! On Bleecker Street, it was between Sullivan and Thompson. Wow. Yeah, it was like, you know, where all the double-decker buses of tourists would go. It was, like, awful. And it was wow. the worst. It was, like, the horror story apartment that people yeah. talk about in New York City. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. what makes New York City, you know, like, oh, uh -huh. I, like, survive. You know, like, this is yeah. that place. Like, it was, um, there was a bathtub in the um, kitchen. Yeah. And, and then there was, like, the toilet. Which had it, you know, we had our own key to it. So we had oh to lock, but you had to lock it. It was on the hallway. That's so fucking awful. And the landlords were evil. They were so awful. They were just like mean, 
aggressive. They have like a lot of, um, I mean, eventually there was a big like um, tenant strike, rent strike in the mm. building because it was so bad. And um, yeah. when we went yeah. to the attorney general, we found out like these people had had tons of lawsuits against them over the years. They're all crooks. Yeah. They're all it crooks. Really, really. They're, yeah, they're mean. Andriani is their last name. Just beware. <laughs> Anyone That's the thing. You never forget. Like, you never fucking forget oh, these no, assholes. Never forget. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're like long gone because they were like pretty ancient when yeah. I knew them. But like, oh my yeah. god. Yeah. They do have offspring. So I don't know. Maybe they're. Maybe they've done better. <clears throat> offspring. <laughs> they had more demon children who took it on and <laughs> continue to be these horrible landlords. Yeah. It's. Yeah. It's. I mean, I'm sure it's drastically changed, though, right? I mean, Manhattan's, like, no longer the Manhattan that you knew in the 90s, I'm sure. No. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. When did, what, you grew up, like, where'd you grow up? Did you go in I grew up in, in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then uh, Rockland County, New York. So right. it was, like, a, yeah. a big, yeah. drastic jump from very mm -hmm. diverse like all literally my if you look at these class photos when i was a child they're like you have chinese kids you have black kids you have latinx kids you have eastern european kids and like half of them were in esl with me mm. and um and then i fucking moved to rockland county new york and that was like all irish oh, wow. yeah everybody's a racist and a conservative a few jews you know yeah. and yeah. and that was it and then it was me it was a nightmare i'm like Fuck oh my on. god Wow. Yeah. That's how it goes, you know. But now you're in LA. Now I'm in are LA. You like, are you surrounded by Korean people? I have a pocket of Korean American comedian friends here. I do. Nice. And awesome. um, I know a couple of Korean American filmmakers here. Um, mm -hmm. It took me a long time to feel at home here, though. Mm -hmm. you know? Like New York was yeah. home for so long. And. I noticed this is like a typical thing. When New York transplants move to LA, they can't stop talking about New York. <laughs> it's very annoying, actually. Now that I'm like over that phase, like when I hear other New Yorkers come here and talk about New York, I'm like, can you shut the hell up? Like, just, just be quiet. <laughs> I know, you know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that's oh. when I moved to the Bay Area. Yeah. Oh, same. we're yeah. so annoying when we yeah. first moved to yeah. California. I know, because it's just like, oh, New York. It's not like New York. It's not. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I, I don't think I ever, it was just kind of, you get to a point where you're like, either just like, shut up and accept where you are or go back. And like, exactly. I came back. I was yeah, yeah, just yeah. like, I can't do this. I'm like, yeah. not, I hate this place. It's not I know, New York. I know. I'm going I know. to New York. But I, I know, yeah. I, waking I couldn't, now. yeah. Yeah. I yeah. couldn't like get through that hump to, but I'm, uh -uh. I, I'm sure like now that you're, you've moved past that. Phase. No, it, it took, like really this annoying. is what it took. Like I was here and I was like, I'm only going to go to school. Fucking, it was a nightmare. Like I was like at home all the time. I was depressed. I was like, you know, all this shit. I was like, I hate LA, I hate, hate LA. And then I, I had to leave LA. I was like, I fucking hate it here. Why am I here? So I moved mm -hmm. to Berlin for a while. And then I was right. like, okay, like Berlin's cool. Like Berlin's a vibe. I like yeah, yeah. I, I loved Berlin because there were so many artists there, but there's no capital in Berlin, like in New York and mm -hmm. LA. So everybody's chill. You know what I'm saying? Everybody just focuses on their art 
because that's fun and they connect <laughs> with everybody quickly because everybody's an artist and nobody's competing against one another. And I, like, it was so beautiful, that experience. Mm. Um, and then I went to Seoul for nice. a bit to do my research because I was doing field work in Seoul. And then I went back to Berlin for a while and then I came back to LA. And when I first got back to LA, okay. like, I was like, okay, I know now that the United States is number one when it comes to showbiz and entertainment. I know this now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially for stand-up comedy, no, yeah. no, no country beats America. That mm -hmm. I, I knew for certain by then because I had mm -hmm. toured the world, basically, and I've done shows yeah, yeah. all over the fucking planet. And I was yeah. like, no. So, and I was like, I had a deep um, respect and reverence for the United States and for New York and LA, but, you know, I'm like, my shit is in LA. So I got to make peace with it and initially it was hard mm -hmm. but then when the ball started getting rolling and I, you know i was getting booked at clubs and stuff and i started making more um comedian friends it was like better and now i'm at a point where like i finished my phd and i'm applying for tenure track jobs but i really want to stay in la you know yeah that's awesome but when know. did you start doing stand-up i started while i was in grad school so uh -huh. in LA. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Started in LA and then um very soon after I started here I, I went to Berlin and Seoul and you know that's the nice thing about stand up is like you can go to any city in the world and there is a stand up community mm -hmm. there and you could do spots, you can do shows. Um and comics just connect with one another very quickly and easily because mm -hmm. we're all kind of the same mm -hmm. species, you know, like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we all come from trauma and we lack boundaries and <laughs> we're funny and it's like, it's kind of nice. Yeah. That's so awesome. But how did you, so what, what kind of brought you to that first time that you did it? Like, had you tried it before and, or like, what how did the um yeah how did you start like what was the so i've thing? wanted to do stand-up since i was in high school because uh -huh. like since high school i had a lot of friends like laughing all the time i mean since childhood honestly since i was a child mm -hmm. like a lot of friends who liked me just liked me because i was funny and mm -hmm. i've wanted to do stand-up when i saw that like it was an actual career choice when i noticed it in high school i was like i want to do stand-up but i was afraid it is like mm -hmm. the scariest thing to do on earth i think i think it's yeah. the scariest thing to do on earth and i was yeah. just afraid so i started doing all these things that went went around it like even mm -hmm. getting into filmmaking you know was mm -hmm. going around it i mean i you know writing is my first kind of form of expression so that's always yeah. there and I, you know, I've written books, I've translated books, but stand-up is at the core, it's writing. You have to be a good writer. Mm -hmm. And I was just like afraid and afraid. And I was driving one of the um, Korean-American filmmaker women that I told you about here in LA. She was sitting in the backseat of my car and I was driving and I was like, just talking shit. And she was like laughing. In the middle, she goes, have you ever considered stand-up? And I was like, of course I've considered stand-up. Of course I've considered it. <laughs> and she's like, why aren't you doing it? I was like, I was like, cause I have morbid stage fright. And then she just mm. looked at me without any, any empathy or sympathy whatsoever, just very dry cut. And she goes, I think you should get over it. 
And that was all I needed. <laughs> I just needed this very, you know, like straightforward deadpan push. Like mm -hmm. you're the only one that's standing in your own way kind of thing. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. literally after she said that, I had to go to Helsinki for some academic conference and I was in the hotel writing jokes. Like Awesome. Yeah. And then I think a month later I was at the improv doing a oh I, I drank like nine vodkas on the rocks the first time I went up. <laughs> I was shit faced. Yeah. But then after like three times, I was like, I don't want to be drunk when I'm on stage, you know? Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm, it seems mm -hmm. stupid. When you really get to that point where exactly it's exactly that like it just doesn't serve me anymore i'm like i don't mm -hmm. i'm not really getting anything out of this and it's just like you don't even think about it i mean it's the same exactly. thing with like quitting smoking for me yeah. it was just like i'm just I'm done. done which I'm was done. crazy because i used it is. to love it so I know. much you yeah. know and yeah. then i was just like oh i'm just i'm done yeah that was it i like that weird? Need, yeah yeah it was like it was great i don't miss it i mean I'll have like a glass of wine every once in a while, but yeah, I yeah. can't even, oh, I think I was with you one time and like, I tried to have a cocktail uh -huh. and I was just like, my body is going to like explode and implode at the same time if I keep drinking. Mm. Like I just couldn't, it was just at a point I where like, it. I don't yeah. even, like yeah. the liquor, um, yeah. I just, I was like, nope, not, not even going to yeah. happen anymore. <laughs> so yeah. It's fine. Yeah, it's interesting how our bodies just know more, you know, mm -hmm. of what what it is that I don't know if you're into this stuff. Like, are you into that eight body types thing, the constitution thing? Have you heard of this? So no. you know how in Eastern medicine you have four body types. They that's how they separate it. Like when you go to the honey's hut, like the doctor mm -hmm. he takes your pulse and stuff. Mm -hmm. Started in India, China went to China and then spread to Korea and Japan. And it's four body types. It's like east it's like acupuncture, the whole herbal okay. medicine. All, so they did it four body types. <clears throat> and then some okay. dude in Korea, a doctor, he made it more specific to eight body types. And mm -hmm. There are some practitioners in New York. If you want, I could recommend you a guy. They have practitioners oh, yeah. here in Los Angeles. All they do is they just take your pulse and then they just tell you what your body type is. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. there are all these food groups that you should, or foods that you, sh you that are good for your constitution. Right, right. Foods that are like yeah. neutral. They have like a Delta symbol. And it's like, if you're low on energy and if you eat these foods, then it brings your energy up. And then there are so foods it's like Ayurveda, like Ayurveda. Right. Maybe. Which is some, but I this is, but is, this is, but... yeah, which started in India. But this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're describing something else too. Yeah. 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 But okay. it's like essentially cool. that, like whatever foods are good yeah. for you and bad for you, even like certain activities, like there are certain mm -hmm. sports that are good for you, other sports that you should avoid. Yeah. Even mm -hmm. climate, like, oh, if you want to go on a vacation, right. they told me, like, don't go to like hot, humid, tropical places because you mm -hmm. sweat a lot anyway. You should be in like cool, dry places. Yeah. Like, that's like okay. me too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So yeah. they just tell you these things, and um, yeah, like maybe you know. Oh, and alcohol. It was like, don't drink any of this. Like all this alcohol mm. is bad. And this was um 2016 when I first learned of all this stuff about myself. And he was like, I know you like coffee, but you might want to give up coffee. I was like, okay. And he was like, also, um, alcohol is bad for you. I was like, I will quit coffee. I'm not gonna quit alcohol but i will quit coffee so in 2016 i stopped drinking coffee 
I was oh, just wow. like, that was hard. That was really hard. That would be so hard. I don't know if I could do that. Coffee is yeah, a real drug. I I was like, this yeah. is a real for real drug. Because mm-hmm. when I quit coffee, mm-hmm. all that caffeine and milk, because milk has a lot of sugar. I didn't know yeah. this was full of sugar. It just leaves your body so fast. And uh. the withdrawal from that, not only do you get the headaches, everybody talks about the headaches, but it was also like, I couldn't even sit up straight. Because my body just had zero energy. I couldn't even sit up. I remember I was on the bus. I was like leaning like this. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to get home? And I was taking like 14 hour naps. It was insane. I thought I was dying. I was like, I emailed the doctor. I was like, dude, like I quit coffee and I feel like I'm dying. He's like, like that stuff leaves your body really fast. So like drink some orange juice, like drink some green tea and green tea is Uh okay with me. So yeah um, that's become a whole hobby too like i drink green tea all the wow. time now. yeah huh yeah like expensive green tea you're... like you know like legit green yeah, tea like, yeah <laughs> come on <laughs> <laughs> there's some green teas that they give me i'm like how is this tea this just tastes like water you know like but yeah. shit anyway damn yeah i wonder what that's called that. but that's very similar to ayurveda it's like very similar kind of thing where like there are three, they're called like doshas and there's like pitta, vada, kapha, which is fire, mm. is pitta, vada is air, kapha is earth. Mm. And like we have like, all of us have all three, but um, for many of us, like one or two are more dominant. So mm. like pitta is fire and that also it's um, describes like your temperament your body type, mm-hmm. how you sleep, mm-hmm. like how you mm-hmm. digest food and like all this stuff. So yeah, it's like really, and then and then depending on what you need to balance, they'll tell you to like eat other foods that would like. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I have a lot of, you probably too, do too, like a lot of pitta. So mm. then we have to like have things that pacify the pitta yeah. a little bit, yeah. that, that like balance the fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff, balances so. my fire. He was like, I have a lot of heat in my body, so I should avoid like yeah. ginger ginseng garlic like you know everybody thinks ginseng especially koreans they think ginseng is good for you and they like eat yeah, yeah. Ginseng. ginseng is like right. one of the worst things for me it's like mm. poison to me because it's a oh, root wow. and ginseng brings heat up in your body yeah and it's like really bad for me and it's bad for yeah. my dad it's like the constitution thing is uh, it's genetic too it's inherited from parents yeah um, but like my mom, she and I are totally the opposite. My mom has like the mm. quote unquote cowboy diet. She could eat like cheeseburgers and bread and drink coffee at midnight and still go to sleep. It's crazy. But like for me, he was like, you can't have any spicy foods because you have too much heat in your body. He's like, you should avoid wheat. You should avoid any bovine related products. I was like, so basically just be unhappy. You mean just like be miserable, <laughs> huh? No coffee, no booze, no McDonald's. What the fuck? He's like, potatoes are really bad for you too. I was like, oh my no, God. I was like, what am I supposed to eat? Terrible. He's like, you're supposed to he's like, you're supposed to eat seafood, like ocean fish and greens. I was like, so be hungry. You want me to be hungry constantly. <laughs> <laughs> and when I first tried to stick to this diet, I was just broke because fish and oh greens, they're not filling and they're really expensive. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't <laughs> fucking afford my own diet this is so sad but oh, it, it, it is related to one's uh, personality and sensibilities like they were like yeah you know um, like solitary kinds of activities are better for you it's like yes yeah i'm not a good team player <laughs> you know it's like, like a musician or lawyer professor i was like yeah okay 
fine. You know, they're like, it's a very sensitive constitution, but creative. Well, a writer like, okay, too, right? Writing, yeah, writer, like, very solitary. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And even like trying stand to up, right? stand up is a very lo lonely thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And it's preferred that way. You know, it's that there's mm -hmm. this, I, I noticed I, I created this own hi this hierarchy. It doesn't exist. It's not a real thing. So if anybody's listening, they'll be offended. But it's just my opinion. Right. Um, I think at the bottom, you have sketch and improv people. You know, they got to work mm -hmm. in teams and shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then right above them, you have the stand up comedians who don't need anybody. But right above that are the clowns. I have a huge respect and admiration <laughs> for clowns because stand-ups, they need an audience. You know, if the audience doesn't laugh, they get super insecure very fast. But clowns, clowns don't give a fuck whether you're there or not there, laughing, crying. Clowns, like their, their effort, their whole effort is to fail at whatever it is that they're trying to achieve and to really, you know... I'm just like, wow, like the more I study the oh, tenets man. of clowning, the more That's clowns hilarious. I talk to about their philosophy, I'm just like in awe. I'm like, damn. And I and you would imagine like as a like for clowns, like there's also a certain kind of like you know that there's a there's a level of like societal like there's there's they're almost like like abject in some you know, it's like cause I I'm like, oh clowns no mm -hmm. way right mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. you they're not like why would i think that's funny yeah but i would imagine if you choose that path you just be like yeah yeah, yeah. i'm an outlaw yeah yeah they're chaos yeah it's anarchy <laughs> you know they just go to a fucking street corner and start like pretending there's a box i mean miming is clowning <laughs> you know it's like they're like oh so brave you know i find i find that courageous and fearless i'm sure you've seen that show baskets have you seen baskets okay yeah so i started we started watching it and i haven't continued but i should i want to like it's mm, oh, the it tenets of clowning like, are fully yeah. in there it's fully in there yeah, i was yeah, like yeah. yeah i was like this show's brilliant like the more i learn mm -hmm. about clowning i'm like the show is genius you know mm. <clears throat> even like that nice. show you loved nathan for you weren't you a huge fan of that show was that you? No, you no. were you were into um, drunk history. Yeah, that's the show you were really into. That's what you were showing me. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because like we haven't talked. I mean, yeah, and I still appreciate that. And but like yeah. like all of the, it's like you keep bringing up these things that are from like this such a like specific time. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, right. That yeah. That, that apartment on in Crown Heights. Uh-huh. Like, I love that really apartment. Like I, I have dreams that. about it. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a was magical nice. place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Yeah. But sorry. Anyway, yeah, I haven't thought about drunk history for a while, but um Yeah. Um it, I'm just confusing it with that. I think you'd find Nathan for you pretty interesting. It's like this guy, he's from Canada. He has a bachelor's in business something and he just goes to random small businesses and then offers to help them and the ideas that he suggests are ludicrous ludicrous <laughs> and these people say yes they go with it and it's like so awkward um it's like cringe cringe comedy it's like cringe humor uh yeah. that kind of thing but um 
yeah i don't know i'd be interested in hearing what you think you know i made a drunk history right. video of my own did i tell you this no i'll send it to you it's called it's yeah. called drunk korean american history and i i got shit faced <laughs> drunk this was march 2020 yeah march or april 2020 yeah, i sat in front of my computer i got fucking wasted and then i started narrating the history of this comedian korean american comedian named johnny yoon do you know about johnny yoon no dude there was this guy in the 70s who moved to America in his 30s, a Korean guy. He moved to America, became an opera singer, and then what? in New York, he became an opera singer in fucking New York. And then he moved to LA and then just immediately just became a stand-up comedian. And he had oh my God. three shows on NBC, three. What? He had his own variety show on NBC. He had oh, two shit. pilots, he had two series. Yeah, and then, of course, NBC overworked the shit out of him and he had a mental breakdown. And then he like said, fuck you, NBC, and he left. But oh he had God. his own like he had his own uh, local TV variety show that he continued to do with a Korean American audience. Huh. And he did a couple movies. He wrote his wrote and directed his own movie called They Call Me Bruce, which became a cult classic. And uh, yeah, he he died. Wow. Only, he died, I think, a year ago in a oh, in a wow. home but hmm. that was this dude who had a career shit, and sit in a sitcom in the year 1980. wow he was on the tonight show with johnny carson a bunch of times like it's it's amazing i how, had like, no idea i had no idea we just yeah. don't know our history isn't that That's fucking wild yeah like mm -hmm. we korean americans have a really um how do you say like random and but rich kinds of histories mm -hmm. like all over the world. And it's like, yeah. once we mm -hmm. find out, it's like, what? Yeah, here? that's nuts. Holy shit. Yeah. I would love to see. So you, your drunk history is telling About a him. story. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm <laughs> just nice. trashed and just doing it the best I could. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, like, awesome. I was TAing for this um, American TV history course, and the professor was like, "Can I include your video in there?" I was like, "No, I don't want my students to see me all shit faced." And what is that? I was like, "No, no." But yeah, fucking a. Can I ask awesome. you about your um, practice though? Like, yeah, what kinds of things do you emphasize in your work? What kinds of uh, themes do you focus on? Uh, methods or what philosophy do you have? Yeah, you mean like my clinical work, therapeutic mm -hmm. work? Yeah. Um, totally. Um, I mean, I guess like um, what sort of like led into it was teaching, right? When I was working with kids in schools yes. and doing like video and digital photography, digital media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I never had any interest in, I mean, you know, it's cool if they can like learn some good skills and become proficient or whatever, but I really didn't give a shit about that. Mm -hmm. It was really much more about like, how can these tools be useful in helping you make sense of who you are in your mm -hmm. world and, and, um, and work through all the shit that's going on inside of you. Right. Um, and, so eventually, and then that was like, I was doing the project with immigrant youth and Queens and, um, and I was just kind of always wanting to do more 
for these kids. Like, this is just, I'm like, this is great. But I mean, in the end, it's like, who cares? Like, I started to really question, um, you know, and this is personal and it's not a judgment mm-hmm. on other people who obviously, like, I mm-hmm. think art is important and it's, mm-hmm. it needs to be, you know, and all, but for me personally, it was like, I, why I can't, it was, it's like the same reason why I could never get into like feature filmmaking because I was like, why would I make up a bunch of stories about, you know, like when, when there's shit, real shit going on in the world and right. I, need, I feel like I need to be more directly engaged. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, I love feature films. Mm-hmm. I love, you know, it's like nothing, you know, but personally it was just sort of like, what, like, what's the meaning behind all of this? And in the end, like, cause I didn't, I wasn't interested in playing the whole like schmoozy networky get your, you know, ever. Yeah. So I, I was like, yeah. I really need to figure out what, uh, what I'm actually doing. And, and, um, and then I was also kind of like deepening into like my spiritual practice and, mm-hmm. and meditating and um, mm-hmm. learning more about Buddhist psychology. And, mm. and then it was just like, things were like, Oh, okay, this, this is starting to like, slowly, like the path started to like, be unearthed, like, as I was sort of getting out of the way of what need, what was really underneath it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it kind of led into, into being like one day realizing that what I was doing was similar to what therapists do. And, um, and a lot of my teachers at that time were therapists who I really admired the way that they work. So that kind mm-hmm. of started it. And that was sort of how I, when I first got interested in, and doing the work of helping people, it was like a fascination with, like similar and and as an artist, right? You're interested in the psyche and you're interested mm-hmm. in like images and symbology and the unconscious and um, how to sort of how to make meaning of that in your life and how do we use that to heal? How are we, you know, when we experience trauma, what are the ways that we actually find ways to heal through it and so that like all of that was really like a part of my my fascination into looking at and originally it was like really interested in what's called like psychodynamic mm-hmm. um which is more and like and kind of like psychoanalysis which is more mm-hmm. like looking at the unconscious and mm-hmm. symbols and I thought you know that's kind of where I would go but mm-hmm. um but then when I was in social work school, I ended up getting um, my second year internship at this place called the Ackerman Institute, um, which was family therapy. And, you know, it was like a very sort of everybody was like, oh, it's such a like prestigious thing. You should go, mm. you know, so I was like, cool. I have no idea if I want to be a family therapist. I don't know hmm. if I'm even going to like it, right. but I'll try. And um, and it was a really different way of working. It was a really different, it was like a total paradigm shift, like moving from working individually into like, into relationships and, and understanding how um, the internal life of the psyche is, is also co-created with and by relationships. Right. And, and I was like, this is so fascinating because it's like, all of that's still happening and all of that's in the room, but then we're also, we're not, um, you know, as a therapist, like you're not in this sort of privileged position. You know, I think there's, there's a power differential um, that's often 
too elevated, I think, in, in you know traditional Western forms of therapy, where like the therapist yeah. is like all the all knowing, and mm-hmm. you know. But in family or in systemic work, it was like it there was it was very equalizing, where it was like mm-hmm. the problem is not in like one person. Mm-hmm. The problem is created through the dynamics, and mm-hmm. it's it's relational. And I'm just, as a therapist, I'm just one piece of like helping to facilitate like how deeper like understanding or like movement and relationships. And yeah. it was just a really different way of working. And um, and I was working with this one family. It was actually a family of artists. There was a, um, the wow. mom was a dancer and the dad was a filmmaker and the kids were like so creative. And wow. Um, there was one kid with a lot of learning differences who was kind of, when they come came in, like he was sort of like, what's often called the identified client, like he was the problem. So the mom was like, oh, lots of stories about how problematic like this mm-hmm. kid is and her relationship. And, mm-hmm. you know, so of course we're already, first we're questioning that, and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, listening to their concerns mm-hmm. and validating, but also like, well, probably more than just like this kid was born right. and created all the problems exactly. in the family. So. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, and then it was kind of working with them and, and being able to, like, do creative things and, like, integrate the meditation sometimes or, like, use, like, mm-hmm. the language of, and, like, understand them as artists as well mm-hmm. and, like, the family's creative life. And mm-hmm. and that's also, you know, in family therapy, like, we're bringing everything in the room. Like, all these things yeah. are really important to them. So I think, like, when I started to see some shifts and how the mother in particular was able to, like um, – the shifts in her and her way of um, understanding or being more curious about her child and how that changed the relationship for the whole family. Um, well, like when I started to see that, I was like, okay, this is really amazing. So, mm. so I just sort of, since then, I, I just, I've only been training in um, family systems therapy so that's, you know, but I do individual therapy as well, mm. but it's sort of very informed by the sort of interdependence of mm-hmm. relationships that are always at play. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's takes pathology out of it. So you're not, mm. you're like, I mean, you know, sometimes diagnosis is helpful. Sometimes it's, you know, it's helpful to have something you can really name and have a sort of context to make sense of what's going on and some that's helpful for medications all of that is you know mm-hmm. but that's not the only thing right so we ha- it has to be like in conjunction with lots of you know resources and and your relationships and you know creativity or humor and like all yes. these things so um yeah so that's kind of how i now i i see in my private practice it's primarily couples and and some individuals um every once in a while i get a family case um but that's kind of yeah i I sort of all of that's um how i primarily how i practice but i also like you know the contemplative psychotherapy and the the buddhist psychology is always there because it's Mm. sort of just embedded in how i see and understanding things and then um, and definitely like the social justice lens and understanding mm-hmm. um, how our experiences of systemic oppression, racism, homophobia, transphobia, like also really impact um, all, all of this, right? And what mm-hmm. might be happening for us and what's happening in 
relationships. So I, right. you know, when I say like I was seeing a family where there was a um, adult trans child and with the, with their sibling, there was a lot of, um, there is, there is a lot of like veiled and sometimes not so veiled transphobia mm. happening. Although there's a lot of language around like, Oh, I'm very accepting like it, you know, but like to mm. be able to actually get underneath um, and challenge some of that. Mm-hmm. So as a ther- family therapist, you're a little bit more, you can be more active and mm. be a little bit more in the like when, and when necessary. So sometimes, you know, I'll sort of, um, you know, step in and, and try there's a there's a bit of like how can we understand the ways that our power our, our <clears throat> identities of um both you know um marginalization but also privilege mm-hmm. are always at play and how that mm-hmm. impacts our how we understand each other our capacities to to be in relationship with each other mm-hmm. um yeah so it's definitely you know i'm always thinking about that as well Hmm. so um yeah so interesting it's fun it's good you know like i love everything you're saying here especially when you were talking about like that big aha moment when you realize like oh this um this the identity creation or the formation of your your coming into being is a it, it it happens with your external environment and the people who are around you um I've been reading a lot of autobiographies by like artists and filmmakers. Like um, I read uh, Ingmar Bergman's autobiography mm-hmm. recently, The Magic Lantern. Have you read this book? No. I think you would love this book, mm-hmm. um, nice. The Magic Lantern. I I'm not a Bergman fan <clears throat> per se. Yeah. I, like uh-huh. I respect I respect him as an auteur, but I'm not a fan of his movies per se. Mm-hmm. I love his writing. And um, and I also watched this uh, documentary about David Lynch. It's like a profile on David Lynch. And again, David Lynch, I respect him as an auteur. I'm not necessarily a fan of all of his works, like all these mm-hmm. white boys are, but I'm a big fan yeah. of his mind. And mm-hmm. in both of these um, these things, these autobiographies or bios, they talk about their parents a lot and their sibling mm-hmm. a lot. like. That yeah. is such a like first and core construction yeah. of who you are. It's like, and you see that in every single autobiography. They talk about their parents first. It's like, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. does where does everything that we're trying to break out of and prove wrong or prove against come from? It comes from parents. You know? Yeah. And um, I see mm-hmm. this time and time again. And um. I was thinking a lot about like Korean dramas and how almost every single Korean drama starts out with the orphan trope. The protagonist is always an orphan. Always, always, you know? And I was like, why? Why? Mm. Why are they an orphan? You know? And like, yeah, you got other things. It's like, okay, well, Korean war trauma and like there were a lot of orphans, a lot of adoptees, you have that. But then you also have like from, from like an artistic standpoint, you have to kick out the parent. You got to kick out the authority in your mind. You got to break out of them. You know, you got to break mm-hmm. out of their influence somehow. It's like almost an impossibility because their influence is always there. Like for instance, I was mm-hmm. um, I was drawing a bunch of dinosaurs when I was, <laughs> when 
most recently on acid. I was like drawing a dinosaur over and over again because I had asked, my intention was I want to become fearless. I was like, mm. how do I become fearless? And the answer was be brave. <laughs> it was very simple. <laughs> and Did I remember- Did the dinosaur say that to you? A like, dinosaur said that to me one time. Like I, I was at my baby cousin's house when I was in middle school and she was watching the Rainbow Fish video like a DVD. Uh-huh. And after the Rainbow Fish movie, there was a, another movie like attached to this. And it was like about a dinosaur and some kids. And these kids were afraid. And this big dinosaur showed up and said, be brave, like singing a song. And I was dying laughing. I thought it was just the funniest thing I've ever seen. I don't know why, but it cracked me up, this big dinosaur yeah. telling the kids to be brave. And I was burned in my memory, but I had forgotten about it until that moment when I was like tripping and drawing dinosaurs, telling myself to be brave. Um, And while I'm drawing, right, and I'm picking colors, I'm like fighting with my dad, Mm. you know, my dad being like, why are you using dark colors right now? You should be using lighter Mm. colors. I'm like, fuck you, dad. Fuck you, man. I'm going to draw whatever the fuck I want, you know. But I'm also like questioning. I'm like, oh, should I? Should I? Oh, you know, yeah, it's yeah. stressful. It's stressful as hell, mm. you know. But it was just like mm-hmm. this moment of learning. Like the parent is always in there. The oh, critical yeah. voice is the parent, the authority figure in your mind, the God figure in your mind. But it's yeah. like what I've learned to do recently is. You know how sometimes like that critical voice gets particularly loud in your head, like mm-hmm. really loud, you know, like uh, in May, right when I was finishing up my dissertation and I was about to graduate. I was in New York, actually, and my brain kept saying, you've done everything wrong in your life. Mm-hmm. Every single step you took was an incorrect step. And it was just like, bashing the shit out of me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why is this voice so loud? And I realized, mm-hmm. oh, it's because I'm doing all the things that I want to do. Like, um, I finished my dissertation. I finished my PhD. I'm working on a new book that I really wanted to work on. I'm doing stand-up comedy more than ever. I'm taking mm-hmm. a break. I'm I'm going to get on unemployment, and I'm going to just take a break for a while. I'm just going to coast for a while, right? Yeah. Things that um, I was socially told and told to to never ever do to always be Mm -hmm. afraid of to always question Mm -hmm. and since i was doing that that voice got what was like the volume was super loud on that so all i knew all i said to myself was whenever this voice is loud it just means i'm on the right track Mm -hmm. and as i started to do that Mm -hmm. code switching more yeah i was able to get more at peace i needed to incorporate other things you know like i i have a cognitive behavioral therapist you know like Mm -hmm, i take mm -hmm. psychedelic medicines not often but every once in a while when i need to i i I Mm -hmm. journal regularly i meditate regularly i do eft the do you know eft emotional freedom technique yeah oh oh oh, yeah i do okay yeah i do that Mm -hmm. because i have Mm -hmm. ptsd so i do that okay i do Mm -hmm. i draw a lot you know art is another you know way of um, keeping that stuff in check. So I do all of those mm-hmm. things to mm-hmm. balance things out and tell myself awesome. that I'm safe. Yeah. And and that voice That's got great. lower. But I mean, what do you think of this whole like thing with the orphan and the parent dynamic and that critical voice? I mean, yeah. That's so interesting about the, the orphan story. That's such, it sounds like it's such a trope. Yeah, I don't know what that's yeah. about because 
there's such shame in Korean culture around orphans and, yes and and even the what led up to that right like yeah. um the hated waif yeah yeah that's a whole thing that we can think about into, this sure. it's like yeah. they're the most free from yeah all yeah. of that shit they are the they are designed for non-conformity you know right we think right but then it's like um my cat has an opinion on this hold on <laughs> active um she was an orphan too um oh that's why yeah all's good um no but i i you know it's like so some of the work that i do at ackerman too is is with um this group called the foster and foster care adoption project and Mm -hmm. an understanding even separation right from your birth parents is a trauma Mm -hmm. obviously yes Yes. No matter what, even as an infant, there's a, yep. you've already experienced the trauma. And yep. um, and that is somatic. It's carried with you. There's also, um, you know, so I think that kind of that experience and that um, that memory um, and that trauma, li- you know, is lived out even as the child grows older and mm. um, and is adopted by loving family. It's still mm. very present. Yeah. Um, and then we also there's a lot around like epigenetics and intergenerational trauma. Sure. So yes. stuff that like that that child's you know birth family. Mm-hmm. If you go up generations, there's stuff mm-hmm. that's carried on, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. there's this kind of fantasy. It's just like this really naive mm. fantasy that the mm. um, orphans starting from scratch, and it's like and, mm. you know, but maybe that's they're using that as a way to mm. avoid um all of the uh the backstory right yeah yeah, that's that's so interesting maybe um that's really interesting yeah i think you could do like a whole study around i think you know uh, yeah you know go ahead yeah no i mean i think it's also like like in like post-war korea yeah and like what the orphan trope means that's yeah it's so interesting when i when i've been reading these books about like um the whole adoption systems that were created in the aftermath of the korean war and that how it was mm-hmm. used for making the united states seem less racist to other nations during the cold war and how these asian babies were used as a way to be like, oh, well, white families are more likely to adopt an Asian baby because they're lighter skinned over a black baby. Mm. And how that, it was just like, I was like, oh my God, like wow. this, is, this is just the layers of um, yeah. injustice and, you know, I mean, evil or, or whatever you want to say, call it, but- It's like white supremacy culture. It's like literally white supremacy yeah. culture that made yeah. Asians like, this middle person at right. all times like it never stopped and right. never ever right, ever right. stopped you know mm-hmm. and it was always to not deal with their anti-blackness you know what oh, i mean yeah. and the fact that asians mm-hmm. were always used for that purpose is what makes yeah. me so enraged a lot of the yeah. times when i'm yeah. reading those kinds of histories there's a mm-hmm. good book by Susie wu called framed by war that was like really mm. illuminating it's a very well-written book and i think she's like an american study americans american studies person but mm-hmm. um such a good book but yeah it's like sad as hell reading that stuff but yeah i mean what you're saying is bringing 
a lot of other thoughts to mind. Yeah, like epigenetics is real, you know, um, inherited trauma is real. There's like memory that is like in the DNA that may not be mm -hmm. conscious or even subconscious, mm -hmm. but it's in there. And, yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's just part of our whole evolution. And uh, mm -hmm. it's like echoes of trauma that continue down like generation yeah. after generation. And it just really tells you like, you know, there are ways to like, it's like, why, why should I care for myself and love for myself and bring myself to a good, neutral kind of state? Oh, it's so that I don't pass on bad shit to the next, mm -hmm. you know, generation, mm -hmm. not only that, yeah. but to the people around you, you know, so it's like, love for the self is really love for everybody, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that was like a whole like thing, you know, when I was like judging people, I would like judge people, mm -hmm. right? All of that is just, you know, <laughs> you pointing finger yeah, right at yourself, people. right? It's like, yeah, yeah. All of that is interrelated. Yeah. But I was even thinking yeah. maybe there are some orphans in families, you know, like, I have a younger brother. I feel like an orphan in my family a lot of the times, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like um, this is very common among Korean families too, which I'm sure you know, mm -hmm. but like um, my parents left me at my relative's place or my grandparents' place a lot when I was four years old. It's a very- Were you, were you in Korea? I was in Korea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was born in Korea and I yeah. grew up there first five years yeah. of my life. So four mm -hmm. years old, like you have memory, you know, mm -hmm. you know what it feels like to be left behind. There's right. no explanation for it, even though they explain it, you're four, you can't process anything. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that stays mm -hmm. with you. And mm -hmm. like when I read these orphan trope things and watch them or whatever, it's like I can relate. You know who else talks mm -hmm. about a lot? Do you know David Cho or David Che? He's that artist. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the exact totally. same thing happened to him. But he was a middle child. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> middle son. Three sons. <laughs> middle boy. Oh, Whoa. no. <laughs> and they shipped yeah. him off. They shipped him off to fucking Korea, too. He was born in L.A. They sent him to fucking Korea with his grandfather. And they are just wow. like, be there for a little while. But it's like, why does that happen? Poverty mm -hmm. is the reason why, right? And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's also lack of education. Parents just don't know that doing that, oh, this yeah, is yeah. going to stay with everybody forever. They don't realize. Right. You know? I mean, so many parents, I mean, but especially, I think, like, in the demographic that we're talking about, and I think other, you know, where it's like, it's for a long time been very, like, privileged information to have, like, all of the sort of the cutting edge information, you know, like, how to be the best parent and like attuned and attached in a way that's going to create like secure attachment for your child. Like a lot of people don't have access to that information. And especially like our, I mean, we're talking about like immigrant families, forget about it. I mean, you're just trying to survive, right? Like day to mm -hmm. day. So there's, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, in my family, we weren't, I was born in the U S we didn't have any Korean family nearby. So that wasn't an option. Um, but there was definitely like, you know, I think, I think across, um, race, racial lines, like families share the similar thing where there's just that your parents are working really hard. There's just no time for feelings. There's no time to yeah. like have sad feelings or angry. There's yeah. just like, no one gives a shit, you know? Yeah. So it's just, you've got to like work it out. And I think that's yeah. another 
you know, it's, it's not a, um, a perfect scenario, but it's like our basic needs are met, right? Like I never, yeah. I was never worried. And, and my parents, mm-hmm. I know, like were doing the best they could at that time, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think like we have to do our own work um, and not to fault our parent, you know, but we have yes. to, you know, like what you're saying, like the reparenting or caring yeah. for myself or like yeah. understanding like what my needs are emotionally, like what my wounding was, what my work is and my healing and like, mm-hmm. then how do I take responsibility for myself and that in this way to care for myself and also find the relationships, you know, that are going to be supportive, you know, um, to me and what I deserve and what I, you know, what I feel like I, um, Mm. what I've needed. So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think, but yeah, I mean, when I, when we were in Korea um, and when I was learning about Han and Mm -hmm. um, sorry, and making all that amazing video work yeah. around Han was yeah. like fucking and looking incredible. At, and looking at the, both the, like the philosophical Han, but also like Han is like the, you know, that bitterness, mm-hmm. the longing, the sadness. Mm-hmm. Resentment. I, resentment. Yeah, yeah. Like I really got it. I mean, I really, now I was like, oh, I totally mm-hmm. understand, you know, and, and not, it wasn't in a, any kind of like, essentializing way it was mm-hmm. like i get koreans so much more now and i get my parents <laughs> so much more now yeah you know like i think that the whole especially for like i don't know if this happened if you could see this in your family but like i think as like korean and asian immigrant mm-hmm. uh, immigrants in particular I mean, east asian like the experience of like depression mm-hmm. and melancholy, right? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like the sort of internalized rage and anger. It's repressed Han, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that that just feels so so prevalent when it's I think everywhere. About, like it's like yeah. in the furniture, it's like in the food. Like uh my maternal grandmother who who was raising me when I was like four years old and I I was very close to her when I was a child. She um, is a mess. She's a slob. Like everything is a disarray, disorder, chaos, hoarding. It's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. My mom is similar. My mom's older sister is similar when I go to their houses. My dad is the opposite. He's like OCD. Everything needs to be clean. Everything needs to be perfect. He's like, you know, Marine man, right? Like he was in the Marines. So he's like that. Mm-hmm. So whenever my mom's just lounging at home, just watching TV, and then we hear my dad you know, walk in into the driveway or we hear the car pull up or we hear the keys. My mom starts freaking out. She's like, clean everything, mm-hmm. clean everything, your father or something, right? Like that was the thing. And then one day my grandmother says to me, oh no, my my aunt, she says to me, I went to the doctor about the messiness in the house and the doctor said it's a form of depression. I was mm. like, uh, I was like, mm. so Haimani's depressed. My mom is depressed. She's depressed. Oh, wow. And, uh, my mom's very like, you know, like she's the kind of person mm-hmm. who shuts down rather than blow up, you know, my dad's the opposite. Mm-hmm. He blows up all the time. So it's like, yeah, yeah like even though they say, don't say words, like you were talking about the, the transphobic sibling, even though they, yeah. they say certain things, what the feel, the feeling that emanates and the feeling that's yes. received on the other end, is totally right. different. Mm-hmm. And that is the real thing to that person. The words barely yeah. matter. You know, exactly. that the feeling is what mm-hmm. stays. 
yeah, there's a chart, there's an energy to it. There's a chart and an energy, a vibe, you know, and vibe. that, yeah. that is totally, it's undeniable. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's undeniable. It's Right. Yeah. So yeah. I like, you know, when we look For at sure. these, like um, the diversity statement that I have to fucking write every time I write a, an application for these tenure track positions, uh, a diversity statement, you know, I'm like, why do I have to write a diversity statement? Why don't you show me your diversity statement? You know, it's just to see if I'm safe going into your goddamn institution. It's yeah. so everything's so backwards, but it's like they use mm -hmm. words, right? Like this whole intellectual mm -hmm. community is about using words, words, yes. words, words, words. Yeah. But it's yes. like words totally. are limited. You know, there's a big limitation to, to words. Totally. I mean, especially in this stuff we're talking about. Do you know, have you read My Grandmother's Hands by Resma mm -mm. Manikam? Mm -mm. Really good, really, really good shit. So. My Grandmother's um, Hand? My, no, My Grandmother's Hands. Let me find that. Oh, My Grandmother's Hand. Book. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, this is the, what it looks oh, like. Oh, okay. It's a beautiful cover. Um. Racialized trauma and the, and the pathway to mending our hearts and bodies. So Resna Manikam is a, he was actually trained as a social worker and trauma therapist and a somatic mm -hmm. experiencing therapist. Um, he's a black cisgender guy. He's based in Minneapolis, but um, he's kind of like getting really, he's sort of blown up in the mm -hmm. therapy field and like mm -hmm. anti-racist work. Because mm -hmm. um, his whole thing is about um, like understanding uh, racialized trauma and experiencing experiences of race as embodied and somatic mm. and that we privilege language and even feelings too much. Uh. Right. And that actually this stuff is a lot in our bodies. So yeah. like, um, so he does all of these, I'm in this, um, he developed this, um, practice called somatic abolitionism mm -hmm. um and i'm in i've been doing this nine month somatic abolitionism um training program for coaches and therapists and learning these ways of like being able to work with like our own experiences of like racialized harm and trauma in our body yeah. and yeah. it's so like it's so the first thing is like letting go of the story yeah, because we get so caught up in like, oh, this is what happened to me, right? Yeah. And so, and when we just when we're so stuck in just telling the story, yep, we are just sort of stuck in that experience. Our yes. bodies are stuck, like we're trapping just ourselves, re reliving yeah. it over and over. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. how do we release it? How do we like? Mm -hmm. How do we begin to actually like metabolize and work for ourselves, right? Not yeah. even like, yeah, you know, I mean, just to be able to like. Um, heal and, and to live and metabolize. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, when we talk about like, what does liberation look like? What does liberatory practice look like? Right. We have to mm -hmm. start right here in our entire like mind body system. And so um, it has been amazing to like, cause I, you know, I've been in a lot of different kinds of like healing groups and, and anti-racist groups and, um, and trainings and this and that, but it's like this work, I, I can't even really, like when I try to explain it, it's like words don't even really yeah, do it justice. I'm sure. Cause I'm like, I don't, I'm sure. cause I also don't know exactly how it happened. It was just really like, yeah, I was feeling, I had, I know that when I started the program, I was carrying a lot of stuff yeah. from like experiences. Yeah. I mean, especially yes. like post COVID, during COVID, 
uh-huh. you know, and, and all of the like the horrible shit happening to yeah. East Asian people and in particular yeah. women and like, yeah. um, you know, stuff that people were saying, you know, groups I was uh-huh. involved in and shit uh-huh. I was like experiencing. And um, so I knew that I was hold, I was holding a lot of like yeah. rage, anger and fear when I started this program as we started over the months, I don't even really know how there wasn't like one moment, but it was like gradually doing these practices, doing it in community. Um, and it's all sort of learning how to process somatically and, mm. and not rely on language and story. Mm. Um, but to be able to start to attune to like these different intelligences of our bodies. Mm. And one of them is, is vibration, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Mm-hmm. Um, another one is affect, another one mm-hmm. is like images or meaning making or, yes. you know, so like you begin to sort of process and speak in this different way and then, and do it with other people in community where you're being witnessed and people are responding to, and then like over time, it just, all of that stuff doesn't have the same chart. Like it was released to like somehow just didn't have this grip on me that it did. And I don't. There wasn't like one day where it was like, oh, there, there it went. You know, I'm like totally done. Yeah. It was just sort of like very gradually. I was like, okay, like I can, yeah. And now I can actually tell the story, and it's not triggering. Yeah. It's not you know, I can, I can just describe it. It's just facts, right? It's not. Like, yeah. And I can you still have you know maybe mindful I can, maybe I can detachment yeah. from it. Yeah. And eat an agency, right? I have agency yes. Or, experience where it's not driving me like i'm i can be in charge of how you know this goes so we like socially we need more people like you doing this kind of work because there are a lot of people on our side fellow Mm -hmm. progressives and liberals Mm -hmm. fellow mindful folk who are caught up in the narrative so hard that yeah. all they do is retrap themselves over and over and over again. And there's mm-hmm. this big uh, misconception of disempowerment or limitations being empowerment and mm-hmm. a real bizarre kind of ideation that being angry equals wokeness. And yeah, yeah. Right. I'm just like, I've been reading like Loretta Ross's writings a lot. I took a course that she was offering and she's all about like, you know, how do we get out of this angry, resentful state of mind? Cause it's no mm-hmm. way to live, you know, staying mm-hmm. there is no way to live. It's like, mm-hmm. it's impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, I kept asking yeah. people during the whole Me Too movement. I was like, what comes after me too? It was just more rage, more anger, more blame, more yeah. anger. And yeah. the thing about anger is, and I'm sure you know this, is like there's no end to anger mm. and rage. It just keeps piling on more and more and more. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you got to figure out a way to transmute that, shift it to the progressiveness. If we want to call ourselves progressive, let's move forward, mm-hmm. not right. keep building more bricks with the narrative the systems against us the forefathers yeah, designed yeah, yeah. it this way you know we are all mm-hmm. marginalized da, 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 da. it's like okay all of that just makes right. you feel more trapped and disempowered and that's how i felt when i met with my financial advisors two days ago there's this thing called brunch and budget amazing group amazing team amazing philosophy but when they're trying to give me like financial advice they keep inserting lectures 
Like, oh, mm. the system's designed to be against you. Oh, yeah, you have every right to be angry. And I just told him, I was like, I feel worse having this meeting mm. with you than I did just mm. sitting on my couch not thinking about any of this. I was like, mm. I wish you had brought me more information to offer me hope and relief rather than yeah. re-trigger yeah. all this stuff that I keep level right. through all the fucking right. work that I do. And I had to give him that talk because I was fully triggered and I was fully enraged. And after the meeting, it, you know, fucking suicidal thoughts because I just realized how devalued I am. You know what I mean? So mm. I had to just tell them, give them feedback, be like, you're doing this incorrectly. Just so you know, I know your intentions are good. Yeah. But you're, the way you're yeah. doing it is incorrect because it's actually making the clients feel less right. empowered. You know, were they and able I, to hear that? Initially, no. And I had to mm -hmm. tell her, I was like, okay, when you keep cutting me off, <laughs> she was being defensive. I was like, when you keep cutting me off, then like I, we could just end this meeting because yeah. you're not letting me speak. But she, mm -hmm. that feedback helped her and she listened to Good. me. Good. But, um, Good. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the other thing we, people like us need to keep in mind is power is something that can't be given or taken mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. It's there at all times. Our default yeah. baseline as an existence, as a living being, is power. It's energy. Mm -hmm. It's something that mm -hmm. can't be taken away. There are multiple mm -hmm. realities at work at all times. That one layer of reality being something we have to acknowledge, the neoliberal, neocolonial, the systems against us. Yeah, that is fucking real. You know, racism and patriarchy, that's all real. That is that is a layer of reality and we have to acknowledge it. But there's another mm -hmm. layer of reality that exists in you that is never, ever going to go away, which is that mm -hmm. you are inherently of value. Absolutely. You know, like yeah. of love, of good mm -hmm. things, yeah, of light. And yeah. I feel like that's something that a lot of us don't fucking realize or know. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it's interesting because I 100% and I, um, I'm very intentional around when I do when I do work with groups and talking about race and racial identity and racialized trauma that it's so critically i mean there's one there's one part of it um it's almost like developmental right so like sometimes when people are first um you know if you identify as a person of color or um a, you know person of a global majority um mm. that you there there's first a lot of anger right when there's this sort of realization phase of like mm -hmm. this is happening and and yeah and i think that we have to be able to have a, a an expansive um complex understanding of of anger and the role of anger and um, one of my teachers and um, Lama Rod Owens wrote a book called Love and Rage, and it's exactly talking about like how to skillfully work with mm. experiences of anger, especially mm -hmm. as um, someone who's BIPOC and and mm -hmm. um, of a sort of you know marginal marginalized mm -hmm. identity and marginalized mm -hmm. in the U.S. Right, so. Mm. Um, so so we yes we'd have to do that, but it's. We also that's that's just like part of like we can't just walk around with all because the if you don't then move towards something that is um, that is also like replenishing 
and and made from like resilience, then the anger will eat you alive. And like mm-hmm. that is also, you know, and, and we see this all the time and like different, like, especially with, with certain activist groups and like where it's just like, and, or just, you know, in the Me Too movement where it's like the, the mm-hmm. sort of like, whole okay now you know what's the the audrey lord quote where like you can't um can't use the master's tools right Mm -hmm. like when but it's like people are just sort of like exactly the same you know it's like so so i think using the you know i'm much more interested in what's the language of resiliency and wholeness yeah right and and because like when you think about like us when i think about you know in the, in those moments um, in the past year, the like horrific um, uh-huh. murders in Atlanta uh-huh. when all uh-huh. of it was happening, yeah. and like here in my own in my neighborhood, yes. I mean, just in like the- even I mean a little bit still now. I mean, yeah. you know, you, I could walk out. I'm not really sure know. what could happen, mm. right? But like, do I walk around with this like kind of you know this this sense of like the trauma and the fear and like the thing that helped me um actually that that was just like this it was like this force against this this like real like protective force was actually remembering my ancestors and mm. the pride of like mm-hmm. of korean people you know like the yeah. pride of my the beauty um the spirituality the faith the like all of these things of my my grandmother my aunts and uncles like you know and just thinking about like that like these people are amazing you know and like my parents and i you know and then i was just like fuck this like i this Mm -hmm. is what i'm made of like Mm -hmm. i'm not you know it's like yeah i mean i'm gonna go out there and remember all of this Mm -hmm. because that's the way that you know white supremacy culture works is it's there to deplete right and to subjugate and we can, we can, um, we have agency in that, right? But we have to also, you know, re- kind of get out of those systems and also like psychically, emotionally divest, yeah, right, from from the narratives, from the stories. Yeah. And and I, you know, I think it's like finding the communities of other people who are who are invested in. And and doing this kind of work, right? Doing this healing work and doing the restorative yeah. work, doing the resiliency work. Um, you know, it's like I don't want to talk about like my subjugated identity. I want to yeah. talk about my resilient identity. Yeah, yeah, right. That's yeah. what I'm interested. That's what I'm interested in talking to young people about and yes. families, right? That uh-huh. you know, and, and Resma and his trainings. Um, you know, it's almost like a mantra. When people yeah. are coming forward with these stories of like their own racialized trauma, uh-huh. you know, he he just says, "You are not defective." Yeah, and everybody you are not has defective. it. Yeah, yeah. It's like it literally, it it, yeah. it hurts everybody. That racialized trauma, it hurts yeah, white absolutely. people too. That's the oh, thing yeah. that they don't realize. Even uh, uh, exactly. misogyny yeah. and sexism and rape, it hurts the victimizer yeah. just as much as the victim. Ex- That's yes, the other thing absolutely. that people overlook absolutely. all the times. Um, when you were talking yeah. about like that force with the ancestor stuff, I was like getting so emotional, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, you know, you mentioned like white supremacy makes, it clouds our vision. It, it makes us forget that part 
it like mm-hmm. severs oh, that yeah. disconnects us dislocates us mentally and yeah. emotionally like that spiritually like right. that it's one of the ways it works yeah yes. it's so it right. goes deep that's what it means yes. it goes fucking deep you know and yeah. um yeah it's like remembering home too like right yeah. um mm-hmm. i i I just kind of picked this up in random. It was like a queer anthropologist studies person. They were like, home is not a place you try to go back to. Home is a place Mm. you try to arrive at. I was like, oh my Mm. God, like the profundity Mm. of that. I was like, oh. Yeah. (laughs) But that's the thing. We got to create a vision for ourselves. Mm. Where do we want to get to? That's right. Got to yep. write it out and envision it, feel it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and keep going there rather than look yes. back and be pissed off constantly. You know? Yes. Um, yes. I love everything yes. you're saying. Yeah. I feel like this is everything that I wanted to um, touch on. I was like, I was awesome. like, I don't know exactly what I want to ask Helen, but you know, I trust that like uh, <laughs> she knows. She knows. She's been here. She knows. She gets it. You know, last year I was dealing with a lot of like around this time, October last year, I was dealing with like um, trauma around race in a classroom, mm. in a mm. position where I was being treated like this middle person, the middle minority. But the way I was being treated in that room was like I was being treated like a cis white man, you know, Oof. and uh, mm. that was really traumatic. And I had migraines for 12 days. And that's when I was oh like, I, I have to uh, write greeting cards to people that mean something to me and you were on the list mm-hmm. i was like i should write a letter to uh, helen too you know because i was just like I, I feel like yeah. um, i just kind of yeah. intuitively instinctively knew i was like i feel like she has some insight into the answer to this problem because mm-hmm. at the time i was just kind of like stuck in the whole uh rage stuff but i was trying to get out of it i was like what's the mm-hmm. answer to this where's the relief here you know mm-hmm. but that was the start of yeah. that like once you start questioning that you're able right. to find the path outward. So mm-hmm. um, thank you for all this illuminating stuff. It, it's so much here. And thank you for that book recommendation. I, I Yeah, really yeah, for sure. Definitely yeah, read it. He, um, I'll send you like, um, I'll send you another resource. So he has these groups. He works with a group called the Education for Racial Equity. Yeah, and they actually have like these year-long. Um, there's there's another program called communal consultations, mm. where so I mean if you're interested in learning about somatic abolitionism, I'm gonna send you like an interview that he did too, where you can like, because it's really like I think it's the way. It's like mm-hmm. you know we need all the other we need the policy changes we need yep. all the like you know how to be an anti-racist like yes. people need to read that stuff and yep. that's yep. important. Uh huh. And we need like embodied human person to person relational way of re- that's like the deep, deep interpersonal, you know, and like internal healing like that has to be done. And it's so it's much about, absolutely necessary. you know, yeah, like having a vision, having, you know, having like a vision of, of like our fullness. And uh-huh. living into it and actually yeah. just tapping into it because it's here, yeah. right? And it is. Yeah. And and knowing that that's and to make that choice. Like this is how this is the conversation I'm having. I don't know what exactly. conversation you're gonna have, but exactly. I'm not interested in that. So I'm not gonna have that conversation anymore. Mm-hmm. I love that too. 
you have a choice yeah yeah that's the other thing is like people think that like you know other things and other things dictate what we're gonna think and say and feel it's like no 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 that could happen but you can always come back to yourself and be like what am i gonna choose to think and feel and say right now Mm -hmm. right we always have a choice and that is that in and of itself is immensely liberating yes love this oh my god all kinds of like (laughs) i'm in it i'm bathing in it yes this is what i wanted and needed thank you helen this is amazing thank you thank you for the resources um have you heard of this book uh women who run with the wolves oh yeah i totally i haven't read that in so long but yes um, my I therapist recommended yeah. it to me like yesterday. She's like, Grace, I think oh, you're yeah? ready for this book now. I was like, okay. <laughs> nice. And she was like, the one thing, she was like, the one thing, I'm glad you're not. She's like, I don't think you're numb to your anger. And I think that's a good thing. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, yeah, I feel it all the time. I'm not numb to that. <laughs> she's like, she's like, learn to harness it. I was like, okay. Mm. But thank you for this talk. And one last question. Do you have any form of uh, creative expression or artistic expression that you're currently engaging in at the moment? Um, That has been so on my mind um, because I have been, yeah, recently um, I've really been missing that a lot. So I actually have, um, I had sort of started talking with a group of friends, like a few people who I did my MFA with. And we were starting to have conversations about how to sort of integrate um, digital technology and um, and just different forms of like media in with um, like healing practices and like liberatory practices and like mm-hmm. what would that look like? We were mm-hmm. like virtual realities kind of oh. like we were having all of, you know. So that yeah. is um, because I've been so caught up in just like learning and everything and moving and yeah life transitions but yeah that's um that is on the forefront of my mind so um not active now but it's percolating just feeling the need for sure yeah yeah, i'm sure i'm sure you're gonna get there i'm sure vr sounds amazing that VR and affect yeah. and creating new worlds, dude. That's like a whole other epic. I know that's yeah. That's like, the, that's like the dreams. So I'm I'm Ugh. trying to like okay. I need to like buy some of those. Dude, goggles. you're gonna get there. I mean, you're designed for it. You're the one that's made for it. <laughs> I'm super excited. <laughs> Thanks, Helen. Thanks.